Today we're going to take a look at this, that I am who God says I am. I am useful. I don't care what your chemistry is, what your connections may have been, what your circumstances are in life, what your conscious, what your choices have been. God says that you and I can be useful. God has never made anything without a purpose. The fact that you are still alive means that God has a purpose for you. And the greatest thrill in life, I believe, is to be used of God in whatever way. To feel his presence in your life. To feel his power working in you and working through you for the glory of God and for the good of other people. But here's the deal. God will only use you if you are willing to be used. If you are prepared to be used. If you are usable. And as your pastor, I want you to have that experience. I want you to feel God's presence. And I want you to feel his power in you and through you. And so today, we're just going to take a look at how this idea of how to be useful Regardless of your chemistry, regardless of your connections, your circumstances, etc. Now, anytime God wanted to use somebody for his glory and for their good, God had them get ready first. He had them get prepared. An example of this is Joshua. Joshua is on the precipice of entering into the promised land with God's people. Moses had died, and God speaks this to him out of Joshua 1-2. Moses, my servant is dead. Now you and all these people get ready. There's that phrase. To cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. For 400 years, God says, hey, I'm going to have this cool place for my people. And they are on the precipice of entering into the promised land. And God says to them, in order for you to experience this blessing, my presence and my power in your life, you first must get prepared. Now this theme of getting ready, of being prepared so that God can bless you is throughout the Bible. In fact, Jesus tells story after story after story about this. One of those is in Luke chapter 12 where he says uh, that you and I need to get prepared for the greatest blessing of all. And that is when he returns. Notice what he says here. Luke 12, 35. Be, be dressed for service and well prepared as though you were waiting for your master to return from a wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. There will be special favor for those who are ready and waiting for his return. Jesus says the same thing three different ways. It's what I call creative redundancy. He says, be dressed for service. Be well prepared. Be ready. He says the same thing, but three different ways ways. The question is this, if we're going to be used of God, regardless of our mental state, like I've been saying throughout this whole series, we're not crazy. We're just broken. We're just broken people. So regardless of our brokenness, whatever it may be, how do you and I get ready to be used by God, to feel his presence, and to experience his power in and through us. 
Well, today I'm going to give you five things that correspond with our chemistry, our connections, our circumstances, our conscience, and then our choices. The first one is this, and it deals with our conscience. And this is where we start. I must purify my heart. I must purify my heart. It always starts with the heart because it's always about our motivation. If you and I have the wrong motivations in life, everything else, folks, will go awry. And so God says to you and I, you, you and I must start with our hearts. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by purifying our hearts? Simply this, you and I have to take out the garbage that's in our heart. We have to take out the emotional garbage. We gotta take out the relational garbage. We gotta take out the vocational garbage. We gotta take out the, out, out, we gotta take out the junk that's in our hearts. St. Augustine said it like this, the confession of bad works is the beginning of good works. And so when God wants to do something fresh in you and through you, he starts by having you and I settle accounts of yesterday, closing the door on our past. Take a look at Job chapter, chapter 11. If only you would prepare your heart and lift up your hands to him in prayer, Get rid of your sins and leave all iniquity behind you. Then your face will brighten in innocence. You'll be strong and free of fear. You will forget your misery. It will all be gone like water under the bridge. Now, I don't know about you, but folks, I like that description, don't you? He says, you start by cleaning the slate, by clearing your conscience. And if you do, you will be free of fear. You will be able to walk boldly. You will be free of misery. You will be strengthened. Your face will brighten. Why? Because you have shut the door on your past. And so he says, start by preparing your heart. Deal with your conscience first. Jump back to Joshua. Out of Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5, notice what he tells God's people. Joshua told the people, purify, will you circle that word, yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Will you circle that phrase, great wonders. God says, I'm going to do some neat things in you where you're going to feel my presence and you're going to experience my power in and through you. But in order for that to happen, you must first purify your heart. When I read that, I oftentimes think, I wonder what neat things I've missed out on those great wonders that God's wanted to show me because I've had junk in my heart. I wonder what neat things you've missed out on, the opportunities, the blessings, the promised land that God has for you, all because you've got junk in your heart. God says purify your heart so that God can show you great wonders, experiencing him afresh and experiencing his power. Now, how in the world do you and I do that? Well, through confession. Confession is nothing more than this. It's simply agreeing with God. It's saying, God, you're right and I'm wrong. Confession in the Greek is homo logeo. It, it, homo meaning the same, logeo meaning the spoken word. It means that we speak the same words that God speaks. God, whatever you said, you are right and I was wrong. The pride that I had in that situation you're right, I was wrong. The jealousy that I had in my heart towards that person, God, you're right, and I was wrong. 
God, this thing about me comparing myself and envying other people's bodies. You're right, God. Mine's unique. You're right, God, and I'm wrong. The impatience that I've had, maybe towards my spouse. God, you're right, and I'm wrong. Now, what happens when you and I have that kind of conversation with God? Well, he says simply this, that he purifies you and he forgives you. 1 John 1, 9, take a look at this. If we confess our sins to God, we will, he will keep his promise and do right. He will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all wrongdoing. Folks, it's just that simple. It's that simple to close the door of the past. God, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm owning up to it, God. This was my fault, I shouldn't have done that. You're right and I'm wrong. And then what God does is he comes along and says, you're forgiven and now I'm gonna give you a pure heart so now let's move on in to the future. This is the starting point. Until you and I get our hearts purified, honestly, God can't use us. Now God can use all kinds of vessels. He can use all kinds of different chemistries and they're all different in this room. God can use all kinds of connections, family origin issues. He can use all that. He can use all kinds of circumstances. He can use all kinds of conscious things. He can use all kinds of choices that we've made. God's not limited, okay? One thing we know for sure is that God only uses broken vessels because we're all broken, right? If God limited himself to perfect people, whatever that looks like, nothing would ever get done. But the only thing that God can't use is a dirty vessel. And if you want the blessings of God, if you want to be used of God and know his presence and his power in and through your life, you've got to purify your heart. Now, how do you do that? Again, by confessing. How often? I say this on a regular basis. I mean, how often do you take your trash out in your house? Do you, leave, do you only take your trash out Christmas and Easter? I call those creasters, you know? They only come to church Christmas and Easter, and it's always the same message. Pastor George, can't you just preach a different message on those days? I'm sorry, I'm limited, okay? My guess is you take your trash out on a regular basis. You don't let it accumulate a week in your trash can, because if it did, your house would stink. Well, guess what? If you don't take your junk out, your garbage in your heart on a regular basis, your life's going to stink. And so I say this, do it as quickly as God's Spirit reminds you. And just say, God, you're right, and I'm wrong. So that you, and so you begin to start, allow, you, be, you allow God to start moving in you so as to move outside of you. Take a look at 2 Timothy 2, 21. If you keep yourselves pure, you will be a utensil that God can use for his purpose. Your life will be clean, not perfect, clean. And you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. So here's my question to you. What kind of garbage do you have in your heart that you've been carrying around that you need to take out and dump in the tra- tra- the dumpster? See, maybe what we need to do today is we just need to get some alone time and we need to talk to God and get these things, so to speak, off our chest so that we can move on into the future. The second thing deals with our chemistry. And that is I must sanctify 
my body. Now let me explain what the word sanctify means. It is a fancy word that just means to dedicate for a purpose. A number of years ago, we took a look at the tabernacle and all the different utensils that, that they used, the priests used in the tabernacle. Those, those utensils, those tools were dedicated or they were sanctified. They were set apart for a specific purpose in God's work. You can sanctify anything in your life. You can sanctify your job. Did you know that? You can sanctify uh, your car. God, I want this car to be used for your glory and for other people's good. You can sanctify your house. In fact, a lot of times people ask me, Pastor George, we moved into a new house. Will you come and bless it? I say, sure. And what is that blessing? It's nothing more than saying, God, this house, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Okay? We're going to dedicate ourselves for your purposes so that you get glorified. You can dedicate a person. We had Mother's Day this last week, right? And what did, what did parents do along with the spiritual family? We dedicated or asked God to set apart these kids that they would come to know him at an early age, that they would be used by God, as, so to speak, as arrows, to be shot out into the world to accomplish God's purposes. God says you and I first must purify our hearts, but then he says we must sanctify our bodies. Take a look at Romans 6, verse 13. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life. And use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Will you circle the phrase whole body? And remember, that's our chemistry. And that includes your mind. Your mind is just an organ, like your liver, like your whatever, okay? God says, I want you to sanctify your whole body, your physical things that you think of, and your mind. Now, why this emphasis on the chemistry, on the physical? It's because you can't do anything on earth without your body. Have you noticed that? Anywhere you go to serve God, have you noticed that your body goes with you? It does. It's an amazing thing, okay? It's really needed to serve God. Now, we've all heard, have we not? You're moving. You're on the third floor of an apartment. You've got to go down and you've got to go to the next apartment, which is on the third floor. And you say, hey, can you help me? And they say what? Oh, no, I'm busy. They're really not busy, okay? But they say they're busy. And what do they say after saying, no, I'm busy? But guess what? I'll be with you in spirit. Now, what does that mean? absolutely nothing. It doesn't move one lick of furniture from the third floor back up to the next third floor, right? Not a thing. That is why when Jesus was on earth, he said this, guys, I need to leave you now and go to the Father, but don't sweat it because the third person of the Trinity is gonna show up, the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you all the time. You see, Jesus had to leave because if he didn't, he, would only, he could have only been confined to one place. And so he ascended and he sent the third person and he's in each and every one of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now take a look at this verse in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? 
who lives in you and was given to you by God. Do, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. I want to ask you this. Are you honoring God with your whole body, your mind, and everything else? Well, Pastor George, how do I do that? By taking care of it. By being a good steward of it. You see, God made your body just the way it is. He likes your body. He loves your body, okay? He really likes mine better than yours, but no, that's, I can't go down that road. He, he made it. Jesus Christ died for it. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Now, you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, but Pastor George, is it really that important? Is it that important that I give attention to this area? Absolutely. One third of Jesus' ministry was around health care, your body and your mind. Matthew 4 says in every village that Jesus went into, he, he preached and he taught and he healed. A third of Jesus' ministry dealt with our chemistry, our minds and our bodies. Now, I don't know how you look at your, your body, your whole body. But as I've thought about it, there's only one of four responses that you can have. One is that you can reject it. And a lot of people who are experiencing hopelessness don't like themselves. That's why we started out with the series, I Am Who God Says I Am. Yes, we're broken, but we're not crazy. And if you don't like who you are, your body, guess what you'll do? You'll envy other people's bodies. And that is a source of hopelessness. Or you can neglect it. That's not paying any attention to it whatsoever. Or you can perfect it. And I see a lot of guys at the gym that I go to looking in the mirrors there. They become narcissists and their whole world it revolves around them. Or you can just protect it. Because God made it, Jesus Christ died for it, and the Holy Spirit lives in it. God says if we're going to be used of him, regardless of who we are, God says you got to purify your heart. That's conscience. you got to sanctify your body. That's your chemistry. The third thing is this. You've got to simplify your schedule. This deals with our choices. And so what we do is we move to the use of our time. You got your heart right, you got your health right, and now you're going to get your hours right. The fact is, you don't have time to do everything. The good news is, you don't, you're not expected to do everything. In fact, I am convinced of this, that if you and I would get rid of at least half of what is on our planners, our lives would be healthier mentally Physically, emotionally, vocationally, financially, across the board. So will you write this down? I have just enough time to do God's will. I have just enough time. Folks, God is not going to give you more to do than what he gives you time to do. And if you have more to do than what you have time to do, understand this, that what you have on your to-do list is not God's will. Now, here's the problem. God has a plan for your life. 
You have been made for one purpose. It is a unique purpose. I'm going through this with about 100 people right now. God has a unique purpose for your life. And he wants you to discover that. But here's the challenge. So does everybody else have a plan for your life. They got their purpose for your life. I had a pastor call me not too long ago, and he was just, really, he was kind of complaining to me, which is okay. Complaining's not a bad thing. He was complaining about busyness and this and that and all these different things. And God just gave me this verse. I think it's the greatest time management verse on this side of eternity. It's in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Notice this. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say, no, will you circle that word? To ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. That word, no, I believe is the greatest time management tool ever. It is a positive word because what it does is it helps you and I to focus our attention on that one thing that we have been created for so that we can be dis so that we can let go of those other things that distract us, that everyone else wants us to give attention to. There's a verse in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 16, where, where Paul says, make the most of the days for the days are evil. How do you do that? Because we live in evil times, do we not? We never know when we send our kids out the door whether this may be the last time. We gotta solve that problem, by the way. That problem is solvable. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do it as you come up with a plan. Moses, the Psalm of Moses, Psalms 90, he said this, teach me to number my days that I might present before you a heart of wisdom. What does that mean? It means that you and I need to keep track of our time, that we need to give an account for our time. We need to number our days like we number our dollars. Just, just like we number our dollars through a budget so that we know where our money is going, so too we need to number our days by putting our purposes on calendar. I, per, I, I, I don't calendar by activity. I calendar by purpose. These are the purposes, God. There are five of them that i got to drive this church. These, I'm going to do these under these things. Keep driving those purposes. Now, how do you do that? As you determine what matters the most. And you get that on your calendar. Then the second thing that you do is that you're just ruthless with distractions. Now, let me give you a picture of that. We're in the peach season, right? Hello, a little feedback right now? I need, I need some stimulation back. I think it's the peach season. I was thinking about this. Let's say that you've got this peach tree and there are a hundred blossoms on this peach tree and you're going, wow, this is going to be a bumper crop year, man. I'm going to have all these peaches. But you wouldn't. If you've got a hundred blossoms on one tree, what will happen is that you will have teeny weeny little peaches with big, big pits. You will have very little fruit. What you need to do is that you need to prune that tree about two-thirds. 
You got to pluck off certain blossoms, and then what you will get is big fruit in little teeny pits. As your pastor, I want you to have big fruit. I don't care what your chemistry is. I don't care what your effect may be. I want you to have big fruit in little teeny pits. And in order for that to happen, you're going to have to have Paul's attitude. This one thing I do. Do you know God's purpose for your life? If you don't, you better find out because the clock is ticking. Paul said, this one thing I do, not these hundred things that I dabble in. Now, I know this from personal experience, and I think this is pretty good, so you might write this one down, okay? If, if the devil can't get you to be bad, he's going to get you to be busy. If the devil can't get you to be bad, the devil's going to get you to be busy. Busy with good things so that you don't give your attention to what is most important in your life. So, what I'm saying is that you got to simplify. Take a look at Hebrews 12.1. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God has a race for you. He's got a unique race. And in order for you to fulfill it, you've got to throw off everything else. You've got to lay aside the weights, and you've got to stay free from them. God, Paul gives another analogy. He gives an analogy with a soldier. Take a look at 2 Timothy 2.4. As Christ's soldier, don't let yourselves become tied up in the affairs of this life. For then you cannot satisfy the one who has enlisted you in his army. You see, a lot of people will say, you know what, I want God's will for my life. I want to understand what God's purpose is for my life. But guess what? They don't make any time for it. If God came to you and said, I want you to go to Cameroon, would you be able to go? A lot of people couldn't. They'd want to. But they're not like a soldier who is been flexible so that they could give themselves to it. And so like a runner, I need to stay free. And like a soldier, I need to stay flexible. And then he gives another one. Like a farmer, I need to stay focused. Look at Luke 9, 62. Anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. God has a planned work for you that, sh that is perfectly, that perfectly fits your chemistry, your connections, your circumstances, your conscience, and your choices in life. So my question is this. What's distracting you from your life's mission? I purify my heart, conscience. I sanctify my body, chemistry. I, I simplify my schedule, choices. Then the fourth one, if I want to experience the presence of God and his power in me and through me for God's glory and for other people's good is this. I must fortify my connection or fortify my faith. And this has everything to do with our connections individually and corporately. Everything that God does in, through, by, and for you, he does by grace 
through faith. Jesus said this, according to your faith, it'll be done unto you. What he means by that is that the stronger your faith is, the more God can use you. So the question is, how do you and I grow in our faith? Well, you grow individually and you grow corporately. Individually, you read God's word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible isn't something that just remains on a shelf. It is something that to, it needs to be opened. And so individually, there are things that you need to do to strengthen your life. Take a look at 1 Peter 4. Strengthen yourselves so that you will live here on earth doing what God wants, not evil things people want. And so what that means for some of us is that we just need to get some basic habits. In fact, this fall, we're going to launch a new training center instruction to help people understand what commitment means to Christ, help people understand how to just grow with some basic things. Reading God's word, praying, serving. Those are individual things that we can do. We're gonna build a training center class around serving and sharing the gospel. I don't know of a parent who doesn't wanna introduce their kids to Christ. Would you know how to do that? We're gonna help you. We're gonna get there. So there are individual things, but there are also corporate things. Take a look at Jude 1.20. Build yourselves. Notice it says yourselves, and it's plural. Will you circle that S? Up in your most holy faith. How do you build yourselves up in the most holy faith? By connecting with others in a Bible study or a small group or a support group or whatever. Why? Because your faith builds mine. When I see you exercising your faith and growing in your faith, I mean, some of the points for my message I got from my small group. I claim it. I don't give them credit, you know. But their faith builds my faith. And my faith builds your faith. If you're not in a community group, a small group, a Bible study, you need to be because it's really clear. You and I can't grow by ourselves. Solely, we are better together. Now, the big excuse is this. I just don't have time, Pastor George. Yeah, you got too many blossoms on the tree, okay? Got to pluck, pluck some of those things. Take a look at 1 Timothy 4, 7. Spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. Did you know that spiritual fitness is just as important as physical fitness? It is. And we need to give attention to it individually, and we also need to give attention to it corporately. Now these four things that we've just discovered that, that we've just talked about, preparing your heart, your conscience, preparing your body, your chemistry, preparing your schedule, your choices, preparing your faith, your connections. The key to all four of those things is really simple. And here it is. You need to get a partner. That's the key. If you try to do these things on your own, guess what? You're going to fail. Everybody needs a buddy. You need God, you need a group, and you need a guide. If you don't have a buddy or a guide, I'm pretty much guaranteed you won't stick with it. Because life will happen and you will get distracted and you will just return to where you were once at. Best intentions are never enough. 
You need God, you need a group, and you need a guide. We have a whole ministry around that if you're really going through a tough time called Stephen's Ministry. Now the last one is this, and this has to do with my circumstances. And that is I must intensify my passion for God. God uses people who are passionate for him, who are sold out for him, who say, I want to know God's purpose for my life, and I am willing to do anything to get it. Jacob, you know the story. He wrestled with God, and he told God, God, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I want that blessing on my life. I want to know of your presence and your power in and through me. And God said, okay, so be it. Have you ever said that to God? God, I am not leaving this time with you as I'm reading your word until you speak to me. I am not leaving my prayer closet until I hear from you and know that you've answered my prayer. God, I want to know your purpose and the blessings that you have for me. I want to fulfill them. God, I want you to know right up front, I am in all the way. You want to know what most Christians' problems are? You can write this down. I think this is pretty good. They have just enough of God to bug them, but not bless them. They got just enough of God to bug the living daylights out of them, but not bless them. Because they are casual in their Christianity. And so they don't get the blessings that God really has for them. Do you want God's best for your life? God gives his best for those who want it the most. So what does it mean to intensify my passion for God? It means that I have to have a high intensity during the rough times of life. The circumstances that are working against me. Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 14 and 15, he talks about the trials, tribulations, and troubles of life. And then the very next verse, in verse 16, he says this. Let your light so shine before men. While you're going through the trials and the troubles and the tribulations of life, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, it's a choice, isn't it? Life is unfair. No ifs, ands, buts about it. But you and I can have a high intensity passion for God when life comes on full force so that. Our work and our faith can, can be seen by God. I want you to take a look at this person's story, Becky. My name is Becky Dennis, and this is my story. Being in this mental health series really made me stop and reflect on how far I've come in the last 10 years. 10 years ago, I was just a thriving executive. I had full of energy, and I'd just been promoted to senior VP of this global company. They flew me over to Asia a couple of times, and on my second trip, I had just presented to a group of 100 executives 
when later, not even three, four hours later, I didn't know how to walk or talk. I didn't know if I'd even live. For the next two years, we just struggled trying to figure out what happened to my brain. And mentally, I was just thinking, gosh, you know, I'm just so broken. I had fatigue and headaches, and um, we were just going from doctor to doctor trying to figure out what it was. Nothing made sense, and so we just fought. And at the same time, I was trying to stay employed, trying to hide all my residuals. Sometimes I'd be at a business dinner, I'd leave the table, I'd run into the bathroom with my little hidden notebook in my purse and write down as many things as I could remember while I could still retain it. And I might leave the dinner table three times. Uh, I just felt so broken. We weren't sure if I was gonna live or not. We thought time was limited. I, I literally didn't know if I was gonna live from day to day. And if I had had another episode, would it be worse or would it be uh, the one that killed me? Uh, so I just felt like I had to get things right with God. Um, 15 years prior to that, I had been personally assaulted and I landed in this abusive marriage. And I was just angry at God. My therapist and I had talked about this. I was just trying to unravel everything so that if and when I died, I would be in a better place. He had asked me one day, you know, why haven't you been praying about this? And I told him, well, frankly, I'm mad at God. And uh, he knew that this was a very important part of my life before all these things had happened. So he encouraged me to just go to a church and just see what happens. It's with my son, and uh, he's a very reverent young man at the time. He was probably 12. And I felt him reach over and grab my hand during the prayer. And I just wondered, that's odd that he would want to talk to me during a prayer. I looked down, and there was no one's hand there. And I felt God's presence. I felt like he was bringing me back to him. That next week I was diagnosed. I was finally diagnosed correctly. It was encephalitis with the swelling of the brain. And it was the only thing that made sense. And I was so thankful that not only did I get diagnosed, but God was with me. And I was finally back on the right path. I decided to write a book called Brainwreck that basically was a catalog of everything I went through. I, I wrote it for other people that were struggling with the same issues. Even though my faith was soaring, I was getting closer to God, I was feeling better as far as just you know getting back with God. I still fought all these uh, invisible residuals, high blood pressure, uh, thyroid issues, vertigo, aphasia, which is not finding words. And it was just a struggle. I felt broken, I felt damaged, and that was a hard thing to deal with. It's so hard to smile through the discomfort. Even though my faith was strong, it was just so hard to keep pushing forward. A year ago, a dear friend of ours, Anna Hackenberg, a very active, beautiful young woman, uh, was hiking on a beach. And on this hike, uh, a boulder fell from the uh, sea bluff and crushed her. They had to um, bury her from all the, the debris. They airlifted her to the hospital where she was uh, in a coma for a couple of weeks. Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty of whether she'd even live. A year later, um, it's amazing what she's accomplished. She's paralyzed from the chest down, so she can use her arms, her neck, her head, that's it. Anna was an inspiration for me when I really needed it. And you look at both of us and it's a choice. You can choose to be upset with God or you can choose to be frustrated with your new reality, but he's using me in a way that I can impact others' lives. And with the book, with the um, opening a nonprofit for encephalitis last year, I just feel like he's got big things for me ahead. 
I don't know what the journey looks like, but I know that we're in lockstep now. Well, let's give it up for Becky. <laughs> Becky is a hero of mine. She sits on our board. And I know, because of my relationship with her, the pain that she's in, even at board meetings. And yet, even in her pain and the circumstances of her life, she started a ministry right here at at LifePoint with encephalitis, ministering to our larger community. She's on the board. She serves on the prayer team. God used her to help Anna. Never met Anna before. She's a doctor. She's walking on the beach at Torrey Park down by San Diego. Some of you may know where that's at when those boulders fell on upon her. And I just got a, a text from Anna. Um, she's golfing now. And she's back at her practice, seeking to be used by God. God wants to use you. You are who God says you are. You're not who you say you are. You're not who others say you are. You are who God says you are. And God says this of you, regardless of who you are. You are useful. I am significant, I am confident, and I am useful. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are the God of all grace. That you give us the desire and power to do your will regardless of our chemistry, of our connections, of our consciousness of our circumstances of our choices in life you're the God of second chances you're the God who abounds in loving kindness and forgiveness you're a God who wants to empower us where we feel your presence and God you move through us regardless of what we might be going through right now for some of you you may need to get alone with God. Can I encourage you to do that? And you need to clear your conscience. You need to start with a pure heart and just say, God, you're right and I'm wrong. And if you haven't done that relationally with Jesus Christ, though you may have known him in your head, but you haven't dropped him to your heart, I would encourage you to start right there. In fact, I would encourage you right now and say, God, I admit it, I've blown it. But I believe you're the answer. You died on the cross for my sins and that you resurrected from the grave to prove that what you said I could take to the bank. And so I commit myself to you. And if you've already done that thing, take the junk out of your heart. You may need to get some time alone and just think about your body. God died for it or Jesus died for it. God created it. The Holy Spirit lives in it. It's worth giving some attention to. Maybe you need to get your calendar right so you can give some room, so to speak, for God to work in you and to work through you. 
I don't know what it is for you, but God wants to use you. If you make yourself available, he will wear you out. And so God, we give you this, and we ask you that you would give us the power to do what you've called us to do as a church, to be those who are focused on the purposes of God, that we would be a church that would stand up for the hurting and the helpless and the hopeless, those that may be struggling, not because they're crazy, but because they're broken like the rest of us, that we can walk alongside of them. God, we're gonna ask you to do this. And so God, pour out your grace. We just lift this up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.